Remember the movie Reefer Madness? We've come a long way in educating people, and especially students, about the effects of drug abuse. Welcome to a special series for Children's Health Month. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt, Director of Foothill Psychiatry in Boise, your host. And with me today is Dr. Stephen Dewey, Senior Scientist at Brookhaven National Laboratory. Dr. Dewey also holds faculty appointments at SUNY Stony Brook and NYU's School of Medicine. He has published extensively on the neurobiology of addiction. Welcome to ReachMD, Dr. Dewey. Thank you for having me. Dr. Dewey, I understand that you speak to many thousands of children a year about the effects of drugs on their brains. How did you get started doing this work? I got started doing this back in 1994 when I became a member of my local board of education. I was in a small school district that was about 400 kids, and we had been studying drug abuse since the mid-'80s. And I thought that it was important to speak to these kids about drugs of abuse in my local district. So I just put together a very simple presentation based on the science that we're doing here at Brookhaven at NYU, looking specifically at the effects of drugs of abuse on the brain. And I spoke to the kids in my local district. Well, if we jump 15 years ahead, I now speak to about 125,000 students a year, every year. And I just bring to them the research that we're doing in substance abuse that occurs in kids their age, as well as people their parents' age. And I just engage the students in basically a science talk. I show them pictures of what can happen if they make decisions to try a drug, consistently use a drug. So I don't preach to them. You know, I don't go in there and talk to them about how bad drugs are. I just show them, literally show them pictures of people their age who have made certain decisions, and they can see for themselves the effects of virtually every drug of abuse on the brain. How on earth do you see 125,000 kids a year? Well, I developed a program, an outreach program, that Brookhaven Lab has been extremely supportive of, so they give me time every week to get away from the lab and reach these kids. Where I live, there are about 150,000 children, school-aged children in my county, and I'm still a member of the Board of Education, so I go to schools twice a day, sometimes three times a day, and I speak to either small health classes or it's actually gotten out to a point where I speak to auditoriums. We do assemblies with all the classes, and, and I do it from K through 6, 7 through 9, and 10 through 12. It takes a lot of time, and I do it virtually three days a week, and it's probably one of the most rewarding things I've ever done. What a gift to these kids and to your community. Yeah, I think it is. I think it's certainly grown to the point where I can't handle all the requests. It's now gotten to the point where I do uh, many schools in New York City, many schools upstate. I could do it full-time if it were something that were a position, but I'm a scientist here at the lab and at, at NYU, so I, I kind of do it on my free time. I do weekends. And at night, I talk to a lot of parent groups, so boards of education, PTAs, SEPTAs, which are the special education PTAs, and a lot of school district administrators, because there's a lot of myths out there. I still hear from schools and school administrators that there are no drugs in our schools, it doesn't happen here. So I kind of actively go out and, and reach these kids and, and the people who run the schools to try to show them that, in fact, it's really quite prevalent and that... Nine times out of ten, it's in their school. It's eye-opening for some, not terribly for many, 
but I enjoy doing it. I get a lot of positive feedback. Well, and what a great role model for the rest of us that here you are, one of the world's leading experts on this topic, and you're able to distill it down so that elementary school kids can understand. And, and what a treat for them to, to get taught, not just by their, their health teacher, but by a world expert. It's really an incredible thing that you're doing. It certainly makes me feel good. You know, it's actually a two-way street. I spent a lot of time in elementary schools, and I continued to get questions in elementary schools about inhalant abuse. And it was actually the questions that came from those kids that made us start, or made me start, my program in in inhalant abuse. So it's really a two-way street. Not only do I get to them and get to teach them about the effects of drugs of abuse, but they in turn teach me about what drugs are being used. So it's actually very, very helpful for us in terms of directing our imaging program for substance abuse, and in terms of looking at different drugs that are being used. You'd be surprised, you know, these drugs go in cycles. As we all know, back in the 60s, there was a lot of use of psychedelics. Well, that's not as prevalent as it used to be, so we turn our focus to drugs that tend to be more prevalent. Tell us a bit about your work in inhalant abuse. Again, going back to the elementary schools, it was just a question that continued to come up from these kids. Now, these are fourth and fifth graders about the effects of inhalant abuse. And to be honest with you, I'd like to say that the minute I got asked, I started a program, and that's not the case. It actually took several years before it hit me that every time I went to an elementary school, I could count on a question about inhalant abuse. And what we did was we just started an inhalant abuse program at the lab, which is now funded by the NIH, and we're looking at classic inhalants and how they affect the brain. And just as we have seen with drugs like cocaine or methamphetamine or alcohol, many of these commonly abused inhalants produced increases in brain dopamine consistent with all other addictive drugs. And in fact, many of these inhalants go to the dopamine-rich centers of the brain, just like cocaine or methamphetamine do. What are kids inhaling these days? By far the most common are the solvents like toluene, and xylene. If you were to pick out a single item that kids are abusing a lot, things are like liquid paper. Liquid paper contains a lot of xylenes and and, and toluenes and these volatile inorganic solvents. A nail polish remover. One of the things that was really interesting to me was kids are abusing those air fresheners that kids hang in their cars. In fact, there have been studies that have looked at the response time to a specific event in the presence of an inhalant. That is, If I put two switches in front of you, one is a button that turns on a red light and one is a button that turns on a green light, and I ask you to turn on the green light or turn on the red light and I just monitor your response time, that's a pretty straightforward test. But if I then expose you to a concentration of nail polish remover, which is not uncommon to be exposed to, response times can go up by a factor of 10. So what we've seen is that these drugs not only change brain dopamine, but they change our response time. And I think that becomes critical when you consider that it's not uncommon. I have an 18-year-old daughter who's driving that has air fresheners hanging in her car window, car rearview mirror. So we've learned a lot. We've learned a lot about the neurochemistry of inhalants. We've learned a lot about the behavioral consequences of abusing them. If you've just joined us, you're listening to ReachMD, XM157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt, your host, and with me today is senior scientist at Brookhaven National Laboratory, Dr. Stephen Dewey. We are discussing his work in educating children about the neurobiology of drug abuse. Dr. Dewey, this is news to me, the air freshener. What chemical is in those air fresheners? Many of these air fresheners contain xylenes, 
Uh, these are volatile organic compounds, and, and if you just think about them, they volatilize at room temperature. That means they become airborne uh, at room temperature. That's how you get the scents, the smells off of them. You have to put them in a solvent that uh, has a vapor pressure or will dissolve and become airborne at room temperature. So you have to use solvents like hexanes, xylenes, and toluenes to do that. Wow. The kids are amazing <laughs> what they can figure out, isn't it? The street neuropharmacologist, huh? They tend to be the best. I and mean, if I had to look at, identify who the best pharmacologists are in terms of this kind of approach, substance abusers are one of the best. They can figure out things and they do it all the time. And I think it's one of the reasons I continue to get into schools because I constantly am learning how kids, what kids are doing, and how they're doing it. Now, how do you handle farming when you talk to these kids? I don't know if our listeners know about farming, but it's P-H-A-R-M, not F-A-R-M. So we're not talking about Iowa farms. We're talking about pharmaceutical agents. And big thing now is for kids and teenagers to peek into their parents' or their grandparents' medicine cabinets and grab whatever they can and mix them up as their own, again, their own uh, street pharmacology. How do you deal with that when you talk to the kids? You know, it's a really interesting question and a very difficult problem. We talk about it a lot. I get asked a lot of questions about over-the-counter medications, and I tell them exactly what we know, and that is that used appropriately or used safely, these drugs are fine. It's when you start to mix them or when you start to exceed the dosage range that's listed on the box that they can become very dangerous and, in fact, deadly. So we do. I do talk about it a lot. And I typically will get questions about if I can go and buy them, they must be safe. Well, in fact, that's just not logical. You can go buy alcohol, but too much of it will, can kill you. So we talk a lot about it. We talk a lot about drug combinations. I think we have to keep in mind, just like regular illicit drugs, cocaine or methamphetamine, when you start to add drugs together, the effects tend not to be additive. They tend to be synergistic. Just to give you an example, a drug that might elevate dopamine levels 200% and another drug that might elevate dopamine levels 1,000%, when combined, will elevate dopamine levels three or 4,000%, not 1,200. So the effects tend to be synergistic, not additive. So when kids start to multi-abuse these over-the-counter medications, the risks go up exponentially. And we talk about it, we talk about it a lot. And I get asked all the time about kids who are addicted to Robitussin, kids who are taking the pseudoephedrine-containing compounds. It's very dangerous, and it's something that, that, that the kids are very interested in because I think it's just so popular. And, and I think it speaks to another thing. We have to be very vigilant about the drugs we keep around our house. It's not just these over-the-counter medications that are problematic, but you can imagine that many, many people have controlled substances in their houses, like Vicodin, like Percocet, drugs that are used for pain management, and kids get into them, the benzodiazepines. They get into Xanax. They get into Valium. And one of the biggest problems we have is that parents, if they have these drugs, they don't have them in a, in a place that's secure, and oftentimes they'll get them, use them short-term, and leave the extras in the medicine cabinet that become available for the kids. And then what you have are these farm parties where they, everyone brings all the pills they can find, throw them into a giant brandy sniffer, and then take them with alcohol. So it, it is a real problem, and it's something that 
that I get asked a lot about. So it sounds like any of us that see children in our practices, that would be a great question to incorporate into our annual physical exams is to the parents. Um, you know, do you have any medicines around that need to be thrown away? Absolutely. You know, that's, that's an absolutely critical thing that should be asked because if you go and look, and we've done this a lot, we've had kids bring kids that come to the imaging center, we've had them bring the drugs, and sure enough, probably more than 50% of the drugs that they bring to us are prescription drugs that are in the house. They tend to be the Vicodins, the Xanax, Valiums, Alprazolam, Ativan. A lot of them bring in Ritalin, um, Adderall. These are also drugs that are very commonly abused. And I think it's something that absolutely needs to be stressed. I mean, we need to tell people that if we're giving them a prescription for a narcotic or for pain management, that once they're done, these pills need to be destroyed. I'd like to thank our guest today, Dr. Stephen Dewey. We have been discussing his work in educating children and teens about drug abuse. I am Dr. Leslie Lent. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, please send your emails to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening. 